Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm William Hosea, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 16th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. And I'm Liz Mitchell. Last week, we shared how African-American genealogical research in the U.S. can be both a challenge and very discouraging, namely, due to the sketchy and lost records, especially before 1870, when slavery was widely practiced. It's important to note that in genealogy, no matter how much time and money you spend on your research, unless you are organized, you will frustrate yourself and your opportunity for finding out the truth about your family and your ancestors. One good rule of thumb is to always start with the known and work towards the unknown. To help us dig further into this topic, we've invited Mary Jones Fitz, a professional genealogist with 42 years of experience. She is a resident of genealogist and historian for Marengo Hale Connors, Alabama. She's also a courthouse researcher, instructor, and lecturer of African-American genealogy. So with that, Mary, welcome to Bring It On. Yes, welcome, and I'm excited you're here. Thank now, you all so much. Now, Mary is what you would consider one of the heavyweights in the industry, you know. Okay. One of the icons. And Mary, you, you focus a lot on uh, how to find, how we can find our slave ancestors. I attended uh, one of your workshops a couple of weeks ago, and and like so many other things that I do, I said we have got to have her come on the show and talk to us about the work that she does. So, and and uh, starting off, what would you say to someone? We're starting from scratch. Okay. Um, what do you say to someone? who has not done it before, maybe just join one of these genealogical websites? Where, where do they start? What do they do? What do they look, uh, what do they look for? Okay. Um, what, when they first start, when you first start doing genealogy, of course, you're going to start with yourself. And then you're going to work backwards. The most important document that you need to have when you first start is what we call a pedigree chart. And a pedigree chart a, I call it a road map because it will show you where you need to go and who you need to research. So that's the first thing. But after you have done the pedigree chart, then you need to find out uh, who you want to research first. I mean, by that, I'm meaning the surname because when you first start, you're going to have you're going to have four surnames to start with. You have to pick one surname because you cannot uh, effectively do African-American research or any research for that matter, unless you have pick out a person that you want to research. Uh, when I first started, I did my grandmother's side because I lived with her and she told me all about 
her family, but she did not tell me about my grandfather's side. So after I did that, then I started on my grandfather's side of the family. So you have to have one surname to start uh, your research with. And then you're going to start with yourself. You're going to work backwards. Then you're going to have to choose, do I want to do my mother's side? Do I want to do my father's side, meaning the surname? And if you put whatever surname you pick, then that's the surname you start with. And then the next thing you're going to do is you're going to talk to people uh, in the family, aunts, uncles, older cousins, ask them about are there any oral histories or if there's anything that they can help you with to start your research as far as uh, what is the history of the family, where they came from, were they originally, say, if you're living in California now, were they originally from California? And if not, then where were they originally from? So all of that is how you begin and how you start building your family tree. And after you get that information, then you can go and look at different records, say, death records, uh, obituaries, um, uh, birth records, marriage records because this is how you're gonna start building your tree. But after you get all of those documents together and you get all of that information written down, then what you're gonna do is you're gonna go to the census records, the US federal census records. And you're gonna start at 1940 because that's the last census record that came out. The next, the 1950 census records will come out in April the 1st of next year, 2022. Um, on April the 1st, that would be the 1950 uh, census records. But you're going to start, if you start today, you will start with the 1940 census records. So after you gather all of your information, then you're going to look for your ancestors that were born uh, before April of 1940. Because if they were born after April of 1940, they will not be on the 1940 census records. And you begin researching with the 1940 census records going back to 1870. And that's basically how you begin uh, doing your research into building your family tree. Now, um, Mary, thank you. That was very informative. The second thing that you mentioned after saying start with yourself, Yes. You mentioned a pedigree chart. Where does a person find a pedigree chart? Well, you can go online. You can Google pedigree chart. And there are, I, there are different levels of pedigree chart. There's a pedigree. There's a, a three-generation uh, pedigree chart, a fourth generation, so on and so forth. I think they're all the way up to 10 or 12 by now. But just get your basic pedigree chart. Uh, maybe a fourth generation pedigree chart. So you can Google that online and then you can download it and they're free or you can go to uh, familysearch.org which is a free genealogical uh, genealogy site and they have them on there as well. Uh, say that again, family search? Familysearch.org. And when you download those uh, pedigree charts, you fill those in yourself, right? That is correct. You fill those in. And the pedigree chart, I don't have one uh, here with me. The pedigree chart is a, um, you go, 
you're going to, it has a space for you to list yourself. Then it has two columns, uh, one above and one beneath. The always remember that when you do the pedigree chart, that the family member that goes on top is always the male and the female is always at the bottom. That's a pedigree chart. The pedig uh, when you do the pedigree chart and you start with yourself, you're gonna list your mother, which will be at the, uh, she will be at the bottom of the chart and your father will be at the top of the chart. At this point, you need to find out who you wanna research first and you pick that name. If you're gonna pick your father's name, then you will go to the next, insert his parents, then his grandparents. So when you have all of that filled in, then it will show you where the holes are that you need to complete on the pedigree chart to make an effective pedigree chart. All the, if you have a fourth generation pedigree chart that you can complete it to the fourth generation. But that is a pedigree chart. Okay, is um, for people that want to be cost effective. I know that a lot of people always ask, well, how much is this going to cost me? Are there a lot of free websites that will help you? Or do you have to pay to give for information like birth certificates, uh, a deaf marriage license? Is there cost in all of, the, all of these different um, documents? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. And I can only, I don't know how well, let me say, I can speak for Alabama and North Carolina because that, those are my two states of research. Alabama, uh, you have to pay to get death records. And then they have a time limit on death records. A person in Alabama has to have been dead 125 years before they will give you a death certificate which that is something that we genealogists down in Alabama are trying to say, well, you know, 125 years, the person has been dead. So why can't, if my ancestor has been dead for 100 years, 75 years, I mean, why can't we get that record without paying for it? Now in North Carolina, in North Carolina and Tennessee, I know they have death records online. So, but getting back to the pay and pay, yes, Genealogy, I want to say this, genealogy is an expensive hobby or habit or whatever you want to call it, because you're going to, if you go to the courthouse and you want to get a marriage license, then you have to pay for that, a copy of that. In Alabama, they are a dollar per page. So what we do now is genealogists with all of these smartphones and digital cameras that we have, we go to the, um, to the courthouse and if we want a document, say a marriage license, we just take a photocopy of it mm -hmm. because that way we don't have to pay that expense for a dollar for something that we just want a record of. We don't need a certified copy. So yes, it is expensive. You're gonna have to pay for birth certificates uh, in Alabama, you're going to have to pay for death records. If you go to the courthouse to make any kind of vital records, you're going to have to pay for that unless you take your camera and make copies of it. Now, when we talk about the different genealogy sites, uh, the only free genealogy site is FamilySearch.org. And that is the site of the, uh, the uh, Latter-day Saints. 
Ah, they are free. They've always Ancest been free. Yes. Ancestry.com is $189 a year. And uh, on Ancestry, even when you want to download some of the documents, there's a charge for that as well. You, you can view it, but you can't download it. Well, if you pay, if you pay the subscription, like I pay the subscription, I pay $189 every year and I can download and copy as much many documents as I want because I have a subscription to Ancestry.com. But if you go there and you don't have a subscription, they will show you the information, but then you can't get the information because you're not part of um, their subscription. Now you can find a library in your uh, state or city or town that subscribes to Ancestry.com and you can go there and do your Ancestry.com work at the library. But as individuals, uh, when I use it in my home for research, I have to pay for it. There is uh, another um, site that you have to pay for and it is called Fold3. Fold3 deals with military records. So uh, that those two that I know, and there are some more uh, websites that you have to pay for, but those are the those are the three top websites that people mostly use in genealogy. Um, what was that? Bold three? Is that what Bold, you said? Uh huh. F O L D three. Okay, fold three. Yes, fold three dot com. Okay, and for our listening audience, we are speaking with our guest, Mary Jones Fitz, a professional genealogist with 42 years of experience and a resident and historian for Marengo Hill counties in Alabama. Um, my next question, Mary, is um, uh, you meant how difficult is it uh, at right in today's age to find your slave records of the records of your slaves? Difficult, extremely difficult. Because once you do all of your uh, primary, what I call primary genealogy, working from your working backwards from yourself to 1870, when you get to 1870, there are no documents that African Americans created or that slaves created. So therefore, now when you get to that point, you're going to have to start looking for the slaveholder, and that is the difficult part finding the slaveholder because you don't, they, your ancestors could have been sold three or four times. So you don't know who the slaveholder, the last, you, you may know who the last slaveholder is, but he may not be the first slaveholder. So to research your ancestors back into slavery, you're going to have to know everybody that uh, bought or sold your ancestors into uh, slavery. So, it, I mean, it is difficult. There are the records. Once you get past finding the slaveholder, then it kind of becomes like not easy. There are still obstacles, but it's less difficult because now you can pinpoint, okay, Joe Smith is a slaveholder. So what I need to find out now is whether Joe Smith died prior to emancipation, 
because if Joe Smith died prior to emancipation, then you may be able to find a will and that will might have a list of uh, the slaves that he owned. Uh, and, and it might, if he died before emancipation, there's gonna be all kind of probate records that you can look at like inventories and appraisals. Inventories and appraisals come after the will has been presented to the probate court to be probated. But if Joe Smith died after emancipation, you're not going to find a will that will list his slave people in slave people uh, simply because emancipation is over. So what they did is they went in and they destroyed all of the old wills and they had to rewrite a will that excluded the enslaved people because now they are free. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. So that's where it becomes really difficult. And that's why I always tell people, make sure when you do your genealogy and you start from the beginning, you do not skip a generation. By that, I mean, you have to research your, if you're researching your great grandfather, you have to research his siblings. You have to research his, his spouse, her siblings. You have to research every, you cannot skip a generation because if you skip a generation, that's just making it more difficult for you to find your enslaved ancestors uh, after 1870. Well, one, uh, one other question I have, are, uh, do people hire you to help them or, or hire you to do the work for them? And if so, are there plenty of people like you that do this for a living? There are, yeah, your, to answer your first question, Yes, I, people do call me to do this. I have, this is my business since I retired. Well, it was my business before I retired, but now it's kind of full-fledged. Yes, they call me to do uh, their research for them. And as far as I know, there are a few of us out there that do, ha do it as a business and we people call us to do their research. Uh -huh. um, I know I am the only one that does this in the surrounding counties, the surrounding five counties where I live. So, and I mostly get my um, clients from the courthouse because people will call the courthouse and ask them questions about, you know, they want to do their genealogy and if you have records of the, and then they refer them uh, to me from the courthouse and the local libraries. Okay. You mentioned uh, different sources of information. How valuable, how valuable are family Bibles in being a source oh, of information? Family Bibles are great. Uh, if you have a family Bible, most African-Americans that I have dealt with do not have a family Bible. If they had one and great-great-grandmother or great-grandmother had it, when she passed away, they don't know what happened to it. Yeah. If a family member took it or, and that family member's passed on, don't know where it is. <laughs> so there, they, uh, if you have one, it is essential. I mean, because the names that are written in there are were written during the time. And, and I call mm -hmm. that a primary source 
because the uh, primary source is a written document that was written during the time of the event. So when they write in the family Bible, they know that the event happened, say like maybe two or three days before they wrote it in, but the event did happen. So those are great resources if you can, if you do have a a family Bible. For someone, uh, well, let me use myself as an example. I started getting serious about researching my family history uh, many years ago when I hosted a family reunion. And Mm -hmm. so, but I did exactly the opposite of what you said. I had no plan. (laughs) I was not organized. I was all over the place. But Mm -hmm. today, today, and I know some of my information is good, but Mm -hmm. today I got over 500 family members in my tree. Mm -hmm. But I know there are some flaws in it too. It, it could be fine-tuned and cleaned up. So for someone who started off the way I did and amassed all of this information, would you recommend I scrap that and start over? Or is it is it just too much of a pain to try and clean it up? I No, I wouldn't scrap it. And I don't think it, if you have the information, I don't think, I don't tell people, don't scrap, don't scrap anything. You just kind of take it and put it in a folder and put it to the side because then you may be able to use that information down the road. But what I can suggest, say, in your case, is that you start with whoever you want to research, say, the Jose line. You just uh, start from the beginning and do the pedigree chart and fill the pedigree chart out and then set some of that information that you have May you may be able to take that information to introduce it into the pedigree chart or into something that we call a family group sheet. The family group sheet um, is a is a sheet for the nuclear family because the family group sheet has the parents' names and it has the children's names and all of their vital information. So I wouldn't scrap anything. I would just take it and put it in a big folder or a big file. And then, you know, you can start because some of the stuff you have may be able to help you when you start doing it from the beginning, you know, like yeah. the method. And uh, I have to say that you, you just happen to be in the area where my family originated from, uh, Marengo County, Alabama. Yeah. And so you, I'm sure you and I will be, will be talking some more. Yeah. In the very near future. Yeah. Yeah. Liz. Uh, yeah. One problem that I have in my family is uh, the census records or record takers a uh, years ago. Uh, if you looked at them, you would say it would say B for black, M for mulatto and W for white. And sometimes if the census taker didn't ask and they just looked, they made assumptions for some of my family that they were white. And so, and that has caused some confusion. I've gotten far back uh, on one particular side of my family and now trying to find his parents, that's my great, great grandfather's, they list the people as white and they could be, but I'm stuck because I don't know how, how far you know, whether they are or not. I've had uh, a great uncle that had insisted that um, his grandfather was white. Well, my my great uncle looks white. 
so I'm wondering if they were all mulattoes, which back then is a big distinction. Are yes. you black or are you mulatto? Yes. Yes. And so that has caused me a lot of confusion. Okay. That's the same thing that happened to my my grandmother. Her her grandfather was a full-blooded Cherokee, but he looked white. Then her grandfather on, on her mother's side, he was the product of the plantation owner and the cook in the kitchen. So my, my grandmother and all 13 of her siblings, except for two that are dark, they all look white. Yeah. So when I find them, like you said, in the census record, if I had not known that my grandmother's name was Matilda George and I didn't know all of her siblings, I would have said, oh, this is not my family because the enumerator listed them as being white. Yeah. And so that is a problem. But then you kind of have to push on and kind of look at those uh, given names, you know, because given our, our given names are the first names that they uh, have, not the surname, but the given names. So if you look at the given names, say on, a, on another census record that is either after or before, then that should kind of help you and guide you along as to really the, um, what it should have been, because they should have put down mulatto but they didn't, so they put down white because back in that in that time, they had a, a rule called a one drop rule. Yeah. So meaning you might look white, but if you had a drop of black, you were black, Negro, or mulatto. Yeah. I think so that, that rule still a, exists. I was gonna of ask course. if that rule still exists. <laughs> yes. I have a, I have a man that works with me. He did the uh, 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 DNA test uh -huh. and found out he's 14% black. And he goes, well, Liz, whatever that means. So I said, well, let me explain to you the one drop rule. And you got 14 of them dropped. Well, he grew up thinking he, he's white. And he identifies as a white man. And his wife is white. And all of his kids, none of them, he he. You know, he goes, well, I don't know. So I would find it interesting if he did further testing to find out if there's a way to find out exactly who was black and uh -huh. passed. Yes. Because I'm sure somebody was passing. Of and course. He, he, and this man is in his 80s now. And he goes, yes. I got, I'm 14%. And he didn't know what that meant. Wow. <laughs> 14 drops well, on this. But you know, when I first met him, I go, oh, because... He looks so much like people in my family, but there was something about him, his facial feature, and I'm going, yeah. well, I, but I never yeah. said anything. And then when he brought that up, I go, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, I mean, and, and speaking of enumerators, uh, you kind after you do this for a while, you kind of get into their mind to know what, what they're thinking and, why did they write this like that? And why did they write, you know, this like that? Because they had instructions on what to do because on some census records, they will list uh, everybody as black, no mulattoes. 
Then they'll list everybody on another census as Negro. But see, and people don't understand that in the uh, enumerator's instructions, this is what the government told them to do on this particular census. We're just going to say, well, you just list them all as Negro. Regardless of their mulatto or what, you just list them all as Negro or you list them all as, as Black or when the uh, initial 1900-1910 census came out, you know, then they were either Black or mulatto. But then they got away from that. But uh, the enumerators, you kind of have to get into their mind because they made a lot of mistakes. A lot, a lot of mistakes that complicates our finding our ancestors, especially so with surnames. Those mistakes were primarily made with people of color. Yes. The, if you were white, the mistakes wasn't as prevalent then. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th there was so many forks in the road uh, that I encountered during my family search. For, for example, um, the name, the spelling of the name changed. And, and you mentioned earlier about the names being recycled. And so the only thing that tipped me off that this may be my family, what there was, there was a cluster of names that I kept seeing repeated yeah. uh, and, and from one generation to the next. And sure enough, when I decided to research it further, I found that yes, th these are my family members. And the, the spelling of the name changed only by one letter. Yes. You know, but what about when we have uh, families with children that are adopted with no blood ties? They, um, I find that when back in the, I always say back in the day, but back during the early 1900s and, and, and in any other census records up to 1940, I have found that 95% of the time it may say adopted, but that is a family member. For instance, my great grandfather, Ike and his wife, Rena Brown, they had, a, they had their grandchild in the household with them and his name was Clarence. On one census, on the 1900 census, they say that he's the grandchild. But on the 1910 census, He's a border. Then when I see him again, he's adopted. So what is he? So I had to find out who child was Clarence. And then I asked my mother, cause she was still living at that time. And she told me, oh, that was Uncle Buster's child. And I said, well, what is Uncle Buster's name? And that's another thing that we have nicknamed. That's right. Will kill us nicknamed. Yeah. But she said, that's Uncle Buster's child. I said, well, what is Uncle Buster's name? Oh, his name is Eugene. You know, so then I go back and then I found out that Eugene left and went to Detroit. So uh, my great grandparents had um, had Clarence in the house with them until uh, Uncle Eugene could send for him. But that's what I find that at the end, 95% is that if they say adopted daughter, adopted son, they are related some kind of way. Mm -hmm. Now, one uh, problem that uh, I had is uh, in Kentucky, uh, Squire Brown Sr. and Squire Brown Jr., we find out that Squire Brown Jr. was a nephew 
named after his uncle. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking it was father and son. Mm -hmm. And some, uh, we, we asked somebody else, you know, can we, what's the confusion here? And that was something too that I don't know if this particular person, whether they live together or not, but they, uh, a man had named, you know, uh, his brother and named his son after brother. So it was uncle and nephew and not father and son. So those are all kind of little snags. Yes. Yes, that we had to learn about because when, when I look at, I started reading a lot of books when I first got into genealogy because there was, there, I started in California uh, and I started because of my grandmother, but I had to get books to read about Southern, about slavery in the South and about Alabama and all of the stuff that went on down here. And that's when I found out that African-Americans had a uh, naming pattern. So they named uh, their children after their ancestors because they wanted the name to pass down to let others know that this was the name of your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, your great-great-grandmother. That's why you see names repeat in families and that's why you see an uncle and a nephew with the same name, because the brother, he's going to name his child, uh, whatever the great the great grandfather's name was. And then same thing with the father. He's going to name his child. So that is something that we have to contend with and we just have to figure out. And yeah. that is an obstacle right there. Once again, for our listening audience, we're, we're having a fascinating conversation with Mary Jones Fitz. Uh, Mary's a professional genealogist of 42 years of experience, and she currently resides in Marengo County down in Alabama. Um, Mary, what about uh, family secrets that surface in white families? What kind of experience ha experiences have you had in that area? Say that again. Secrets that do what? Family secrets that surface in white families. Liz kind of touched on it a little a, a little while ago, but I know it, it's much more to it than that. Yeah. Uh, well, some of them, I, most of them are in denial because I have some, uh, my folks were on a plantation called the Farnsdale Plantation here in Marengo County. And when they, when these uh, 81 enslaved people got to Alabama, they were all African-Americans. There was no mixture. There was nothing. Then all of a sudden, when I look at uh, census records for some of the people, some of the um, the enslaved people that had children, then their children come out and they're mulatto. So my question was, if I have two African-Americans that came to Fonsdale and they are true Africans and there's no mixture there, then how could their granddaughter be a mulatto with light skin? So then I had to go around and I had to talk to different people and some of them denied it and some of them accepted it. It was um, on, the, on the plantation itself, there was a lady that uh, lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And she, I met her and when I went to Fort Wayne, and she was the daughter of the, the plantation owner. And 
when I came back and after I found the Fonsdale Plantation and I started talking to the owners that were there, which were the descendants of the original owner, uh, everybody denied it except one lady. And she said, yes, she is descendant from the slave holder, but nobody wants to admit it, but she is. So we run into that and the, the secrets are there, but, and, and, and then I was told, I said, by a white person, oh, don't think anything about it. If you see mulattoes on the, listed on the plantation records, don't think anything of it because that it's not true because it could be somebody else that came from the outside that um, had relations with a slave and then they produced this. But yes, there are secrets and they keep those secrets and what can we do? But some of them tell it, like my the my grand, great great grandfather I was telling you about, who had the plantation owner was his father. Well, we knew about that. That's a, that's the a history that has been passed down because he was the only boy that he had. He had three daughters, white daughters, and when Grandpa Billy decided he was in he was in Mr. Watlington's will. But when Grandpa Billy got married, he was born in 1851. But when he got married to a black woman, Wappington uh, took him out of the wheel because he married a black person. So my grandmother said that her grandfather told the white man, well, who do you think? I couldn't marry a white woman because I got a black mother just because you're my father. But he cut him out of the wheel. But now we knew that's a story that has been passed down that we know about. So there are some secrets and then there are those that are out in the open. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very interesting, even within the black community, uh, my great grandmother had a cousin. Mm -hmm. And I kept looking at this woman, I go, boy, they sure look like twins to be cousins. And yes. I asked her, I said, are you really her cousin or are you her sister? She says, oh baby, you let the cat out the bag. So yes. they were sisters, but I don't, no one wanted to talk about what went on, what happened, yes. uh, and, and how that came about. I think they must have had the same mother, but different fathers. Anyway, to the, they didn't want to discuss it. So you, yes. you will have that in trying to find out these oral histories. If someone has done something you consider embarrassing to your family, mm -hmm. uh, they won't discuss it. And then, uh, like the white people are not willing to admit that they are related to blacks. That's right. Or that maybe even some of them are passing. Because yes. if you're passing, you want to keep that secret. Yes. And for those in the listening audience that don't know what passing is, that means if you are so light complected that you could say you're white yes. and not say you're black. Uh, let me be clear that black folks in America didn't come up with these rules. Right. It's not us that did it. So think about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mary, in, in the workshop that uh, I attended a couple of weeks ago, you gave out some uh, online resources like the Alabama Department of Archives and History, the uh, W.S. Hool Library Special Collections. And then there was uh, another one, the African-American Records Freedmen's Bureau. Yes. Which one of those um, offer the most help uh, or better, easier to navigate? Well, that kind of depends on what you're looking for. The um, 
Alabama Archives and the Who Collection at the University of Alabama, we use those when we are looking for specific records, like uh, say at the Who Library, they have um, early divorce records for African-Americans. I mean, people don't believe that African-Americans got a divorce in 1888, but they did, some of them did get a divorce and they are very explicit in the language that they use. So uh, if you go to the Who Library, you might find a will or a deed or, or uh, something like that. So you're looking for something specific. And the same thing at the archive, you can find deeds and they have a, uh, a lot of records, deeds and wills and birth records, some birth records, some death records, marriage records, they have all of that. But the Freedmen's Bureau records, uh, they are not so easily to navigate until you have done all of your research and now you're researching into your slave ancestry. That's when the Freedmen's Bureau, okay. because the Freedmen's Bureau came about um, after emancipation to try to help the African-American get acclimated to their freedom status. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've been hearing uh, lately that there is a strong African-American and Indian connection down in Marengo County, Alabama. Can you speak to that? Yes. Um, I can take, for example, my third great-grandfather, his name is Jacob Cicero George. He was born 1821 in Tennessee on the band of Cherokee, of Eastern Cherokee Nation. So they, he came, they were on the trail, in that uh, group of people that were supposed to be on the Trail of Tears. So the story goes that they escaped by night and they left from up there and they traveled down here. There, and he's just one. There are, there's the Choctaw Nation, which is um, in Mississippi and Alabama. So the Choctaw Nation were primarily them and the Creeks or the Muscogees as they, as they wanna be called. Those were the three primary Native American groups down in Marengo County. So there is a presence down here and it's not as easy as one would think to try to find your Native American ancestors uh, because it took me 20 years to find Jacob, Cicero George. But there is a presence down here, uh, but it, you just have to know where to look. And people will say, oh, They'll come to me. My great grandmother said that we had Indian in our family. So my question is, well, do you know what tribe they were from or the nation they were from? But they don't know. So then I would try to tell them what well, you need to find out, because if they were from down here, then they're either Creek, Choctaw or Cherokee. Where do uh, you go to find out Indian records? Is theirs as difficult as ours who kept? records oh, on Indians. It is difficult, but then they have the, they have roles, um, which is, they have one that's called the Dawes Rolls. Then they have the Gillian Rolls. These are books or roles where the whites 
took the names of the Native Americans and where they were uh, as far as on a reservation someplace. So, but theirs is just, it's, it's more difficult than ours than African-Americans is, mm -hmm. you know, because they were here, they didn't have any records either. And the records that they did have, the whites wrote them down. And then when they had schools, uh, the whites um, were in charge of the schools that they opened up for the Native Americans. So they didn't have any records. So theirs are worse. I would say theirs are worse. Their research is worse than African-Americans. Wow. Earlier, you mentioned the familysearch.org. As, yes, uh, a resource place, uh, and you—it was—it's run by the Mormons. It's run free. by the Mormons. Yeah. Do they now have records on Black people and in, and Indians? They do, and let me tell you, the Mormon Church. We credit the Mormon Church, even though Ancestry is out there with all of these records. We credit the Mormon Church because they were the premier church back in the day before there was Ancestry.com that went around the world and, and um, digitized and photocopied all of the records that they have on their site. So the, they are housed at what we call the mountain, which is in Utah. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a great big uh, repository where they have all the records that they have collected. They're either on microfilm or they're digitized and they have them on their website. So once a week, they will put up records from all over the world, not just the United States, but all over the world. And they do have uh, Native American records and African-American records on there. But I wanna say that since in the last 20 years, uh, more people have come out with African-American records, you know, since African-Americans started doing research, because when I started, I couldn't find anything on my African-American ancestors. I couldn't find anything on plantations, on there was no slave list out there. There was none of that. And I'm saying, well, I'm looking at Alex Haley that has all of these documents, but he, I think he was an exception because for most of us, it's hard. It's really hard. But uh, FamilySearch.org, I use them religiously. And then I also use uh, Ancestry.com. But I'll go to Family Search first because there's no cost on there. All you have to do is to sign up and get a password. That's it. Mm -hmm. Is is uh, the database at FamilySearch.org, is that comparable to Ancestry.com? Not in the least, not as okay. far as I'm concerned. Okay. And I know when, when I first joined Ancestry, I can't remember when it was, but I searched for a few months and then I terminated my membership because I wasn't finding anything. Yeah. A few years later, I went back and there was just this explosion of uh, yes. information on African-Americans. And yes. correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one way that they did it was to start looking at property and tax records. Yes. And that kind of opened a lot of doors. Yes. Uh, but you know, there was one question about some of my ancestors that I had that started in North Carolina back in the 1800s. Yes. And they moved down to Alabama. And yes. I, I didn't understand that you know, considering the time and what was going on, why would you leave North Carolina and go further south, further into the belly of the beast? Because 
we have this section down in Alabama that we call the Black Belt. Uh, they uh, plantation owners move their entire household from the Carolinas and Virginia, mainly those two in the early, I said the early to mid 1800s, moved down here because they got word that we had all of this terrific black soil that you could grow anything and grow a lot of it and it grows big. So that's why we have that influx of all of these people coming down here, uh, buying up land, building these palatial plantation homes, bringing their slaves with them. Uh, now they didn't bring all of them. You know, some, of course, you know, all our families were torn apart and some stayed and some came. But that is why they, we had this influx of all these people from the 18, I said 1810 to the 1830s, 40s, because of the black soil that they call the black belt. So it wasn't necessarily the uh, blacks that were moving down there. It was the plantation no. owners that were moving down yes. there and transporting their slaves with, with them. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Not like they had much of a choice, huh? Exactly. You know. Are you familiar with uh, through lines on Ancestry.com? Yes. Can yes. you explain how that works and is it effective? It is effective. It was effective for me. Through lines is they, uh, Ancestry takes your DNA and they pair you up in through lines with other people with um, the same DNA or, or part of the CMs for the DNA. Say for, and I guess you are, I always refer back to um, my Native American ancestor. We don't know who his father was, but when I did through lines, then the through lines told me exactly, they took me back exactly to who his father was. And that's when I found out that he was not a full blood Cherokee. He was only half because his mother was Cherokee, but his father was white. Okay. So through lines helped, helped me on that part to go. They took me back to the 1700s for and I found out who Jake's father was. So I love through lines. They just match up everybody. And then when you click on it, uh, you can see all of the people that you're related to because of the DNA that Ancestry has and they put in the through line segment. Okay. I have Ancestry.com. I'm unfamiliar with through lines. Is that something I got to type in and ask them? Uh-uh. Th uh, when you go to Ancestry and you click at, at the top, you click on DNA and it brings up your DNA? Yes. Okay. When it brings up your DNA, they, you click on, they have a, a site where you click on that says through lines, T-H-R-U-L-I-N-E-S. Okay. And when you click on that, they will match everybody that matches you in a DNA they have that person in through line. So you can go in there and click on, say your great, great grandfather and see how they matched him up to somebody else in through line, through DNA. Okay, I, that's interesting. Yeah, All right. it, yes. it only works, it only works if you have submitted your DNA, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, I have, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it, it's a valuable, it's a valuable tool. 
Yeah. Okay. Mary, do you do any international research? No, I do not. Okay. But I know Ancestry for an additional fee. Yes. <laughs> they will upgrade their membership to international. Oh. But I, I kind of think that I might be able to find that anyway uh -huh. without, without paying that additional fee because um, white genealogy is well documented. Yes. And so it wouldn't be as much of a problem as, as finding my uh, my my uh, black ancestors. That, that's correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in the last few minutes that we have left, and there's about uh, two or three of them, what would you like to say to anyone who's interested in beginning the search for their family history? Number one, find a, an African-American genealogy society or group to get in that teaches and gives instructions on how to find your African-American ancestors. Uh, number two is to do the pedigree chart so you'll know where you're going. Number three is to do a family group sheet uh, for each nuclear family that you, run, that you run across. And then just ask questions of your ancestors, of your, of your family, your aunts, your uncles, your mother, ask them all of this uh, oral history that is in the family. Uh, even they can fill you in on dates of death and marriages. And I forgot one thing, obituaries. Obituaries are a great source for documenting African-American vital records, such as births and death. Family members, you'll find family members on there. You'll find even people that you didn't know were in the family on obituaries. So, and, and make, don't try to hurry up because African-American genealogy and any genealogy is not a rush job. You have to take your time and you have to do it right because if you don't do it right and you get down the line and then I do a class on barking up the wrong tree because if you don't do your research right and then you look at a tree on ancestry and you may say, oh, these are my people right here, but not necessarily because they have the same name. You have to have done your research because once you bark up that tree and you put all of that information from that other person's tree in your research, you, if it's wrong, you're going to have to go back and take out all of that information out of that tree. And real quick before we go, uh, can you give us some information about your workshops, how we get in touch with you, the organization that you uh, work with? Okay, I have... Uh, two workshops. Uh, the main workshop is I start, my girlfriend and I started a, a genealogy group down in Mobile, Alabama, because there was no African American group down there. So that uh, is the main one. The other one is in Birmingham that I started 20 years ago. But I can be contacted at um, uh, 1945, this is my email address, 1945. Mary Jones at gmail.com. And also my phone number is 334-341-3439. And if anybody needs any kind of help or you run into a problem or anything, just email me or call me and I'll be more than happy 
to try and help you out because my whole goal is to get every African-American that wants to find their ancestors to get them to their ancestors. And I really hate to do that, but we're going to have to uh, end it right there. Um, Mary, again, it's just a fascinating conversation and you have kind of uh, helped me to reaffirm my commitment to continue my scattered research. Yes. I'm going I'm to get it right this time. Yes. So just, with, just call go ahead. me. I Just will. Call I me will. Or email me. And with that, we want to thank Mary Jones Fitz for joining us to discuss the fascinating topic of African American genealogical research. To learn more, visit researching African American genealogy at familysearch.org. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea or an event or a happening in the African American community that we should know about, Let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringingon at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringingon at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is yours truly. Our consultant and WFHB News Department director is Kate Young. Program engineer, Chantal LaFontant. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Liz Mitchell. Be sure to tune in Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.